The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome on to Hollinger and Duncan today. This is going to be fun. John and I have never talked awards before. I'm very interested to hear what his criteria are. And we're going to hit on some of the disagreements that we have uh, about the NBA awards and try to flesh those out a little bit. Uh, be uh, very respectful uh, of each other's viewpoints, uh, no doubt. But before we get started, remind you, we're brought to you today by Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on. You get $10 off your first order. What's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing great. Just uh, excited for another week. Excited that we're getting a little closer to a return, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, two to four weeks or so. Maybe we should, uh, we'll have an idea. Um, and we'll stop having to uh, come up with these totally contrived and ridiculous episode topics. Um, so, so you guys want to listen to I one do, of those right I now? Do, or? I do want to ask you though, as <laughs> as a uh, uh, something of a COVID nineteen expert, certainly relative to other people who cover the NBA, um, wh- what you think of the parameters for this league returning? Yeah, you know, I did a, a long pod on that with Tim Bontemps last week. Which, uh, mm-hmm. for those who want to hear my thoughts on that, we can get into it a little bit more. I think. What I perceived as the bottleneck potentially was this idea that they didn't want to do testing until there was adequate testing for the whole country. And now it seems that they've changed that to at least if there's adequate testing in that municipality. I think that opens things up a lot, especially because Orlando, one of the places that they're looking at doing it, uh, has indicated that they have enough testing and that they wouldn't, the NBA wouldn't be taking away from them. So I think the idea that they can actually get enough tests to do that it is what makes this more promising to me. And just then the question becomes what the procedure is going to be if someone tests positive. That's really what I, they say they're going to try to continue on there, but depending on the player, depending on how many players, depending on how long it takes them to catch it, you know, certainly there's still a chance that it, the whole house of cards could come tumbling down, but I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I think there's probably a, a greater than fifty percent chance now. I'd say in my mind that they're going to be able to pull this off. Yeah, I agree. Just and just talking to some people around the league this week, I, I certainly uh, I get that sense from talking to them as well that they think this is going to be doable. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think a lot of it will just depend on what the level of personal responsibility is among the players and their families and anyone else uh, that they have with them once you in theory are starting out fresh uh, with nobody having any infections um 
and obviously also support staff, anyone else who's around it. It's going to matter for that as well. Um, so we're going to talk here about some of our disagreements on awards. Uh, Danny and I uh, on Dunked On did our awards, uh, pretty much what our final ones would have been right at the beginning of March, shortly before the hiatus. Have you, you've never actually done a full awards for this year, have you? No, I have not. I have not written about it. I have not podcasted about it. And I've not certainly received a ballot from the league or anything. I don't, I don't think I'm going to get one actually. So, uh, yeah, this is a virgin turf for me. Um, well, what are your general philosophies when it comes to some of these, uh, awards? Do you skew more towards the best player, who, whoever you think is the best? Are you all about just what is the value during this season? And that's a, all that I care about, you know, how do games played versus how well a player played while they were out there, maybe in fewer games. What are some of your philosophies on this? So for a full season award, I'm big on body of work. So that does reward durability. I I think 80 games of pretty good can sometimes be more valuable than 60 games of excellent, uh, depending on the situation. Uh, I think certainly a contribution to a winning team is more notable, although I won't necessarily hold it against somebody if their team happened to be horrible. I think at the margins, though, it does make a difference if your season mattered in some sense because of the the team you were on. Um, there's a couple cases in here that I think we're going to get into where I think excellence in a particular role, when you know it probably couldn't be sustained outside of that role, kind of diminishes it a little for me still. Even though I know the player was just in that role for that season, I, I still have a hard time g- giving kind of the full props for that, I guess. Yeah. So uh, I, we, there's a specific situation, especially I think we're going to end up talking about where, where I really feel that way. But we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit when, when the respectful disagreement starts. <laughs> um. So let me ask you this, first of all. Uh, you and I just sent each other mm-hmm. our awards um, you know, I, I gave you, so this is MVP, all NBA teams, all defense, defense player of the year, coach of the year, rookie of the year, six man, most improved. Was there anything on my list that popped out to you as like, whoa, really? There was probably one that really shocked me. All right, let's hear it. Uh, Brad Beal, third team, all NBA. Really? That, that he just didn't deserve to be on there. You don't, you didn't think? So I'll put it this way. I, when I made my Eastern Conference All-Star team, I left him off. And the reason I left him off was because I thought his defense was so shitty this year that I just couldn't, I just couldn't put him in the top 12 players in the East, even with him averaging 30 points a game and having, by all standards, a good offensive season for a Washington team that was actually a surprisingly good offensive team and was kind of fun at the offensive end. Uh, but he, he was just so bad on defense. He just didn't, just didn't put forth the effort at all, I thought. And so that, that, that was the one where I was really, uh, I was, I was really a little surprised. I did not have him all NBA and was not even really in my consideration set. Okay. Yeah. So, so I had him third team. That, that was a very close one to me. I, I mean, there, there are a lot on the third team all NBA guards. Mm-hmm. I, I had, a, a number of guys in consideration there. Kemba Walker, Russell Westbrook, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell. Um, and my two, my two all NBA guards, third team all NBA guards were Trey Young and Bradley Beal. Mm-hmm. And those were the other contenders. Who did you have on? 
So I had, uh, I'd, I'd say the one difference I think between the way we did our teams is I was a little less positionally orthodox than you. Yeah. So I had, um, for instance, I, I had Jimmy Butler and Jason Tatum as my, uh, quote unquote guards on the second team. I had, well, no, no, you had Lillard, right? So I had, I'm sorry. I had Lillard as a guard, then either Butler or Tatum as the other guard. Yeah. And, and uh, had had Kawhi as my four basically, and then I had two centers on my third team. Yeah, so that's interesting. Like Tatum wasn't on any of my teams, and you had him second team. That is it. That's all right. We'll, we'll have to talk about that in a second too. But yeah, sure. so so Beal. I mean, number one, the the All Star thing. He had. I mean, in part, if anecdotal stories are to be believed, part of why he started playing better was he was really motivated about the perceived All Star snub, and mm-hmm. so he really went nuts the last probably month and a half or so of the season before the hiatus. So, so that was a big part of it for me. Um, I thought that the statistical arguments were pretty similar for all of the guys that I mentioned at the guard position. And so ultimately I just thought that Bradley Beal is just a, a better player with a longer track record than some of these other guys. And that's why I picked him. And I thought also just like at his best, he was uh, better than those players. There's the overall wizards offensive improvement I, I didn't. I I think also I generally maybe just weight defense at the guard position. It just can only be so harmful, especially when the rest of the team was also so terrible defensively that it was almost mm-hmm. like you know what's the point in even trying uh, for, <laughs> well, for him. Well, he certainly um, agreed with you. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, I, I think that's. A, I, I mean, ultimately, I think if you're, I don't use this. I, I probably skew a little bit more towards just who I think is better. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, on these maybe than you do, but I also just felt like what, and when it's close, I d- default to that. I think that Beal is overall better player than Devin Booker. Kemba Walker had s- some struggles late in the year. Westbrook was terrible the first two months of the season. Right. As well, you know, maybe he would have been on there for me if, if the season had gone on and he continued playing at the same pace. Uh, and Booker to me fell off a little bit towards the end as Beal increase so that that was that was my thinking with him and i just thought it, i mean it's dominating efficient scoring on a very good offense there weren't any real like great options for that group but a lot of good ones so that's why i ultimately went with him but I, it was that was i didn't f- feel incredibly strongly that it should be him over some of the other candidates and you um uh did, did you uh consider butler and jason tatum only as forwards yeah, I did. Uh, Butler didn't play any guard this year at all. Yeah. And he also, the fact that he doesn't shoot any three pointers anymore to the extent that he ever did, that kind of just makes me think of him as more of a forward. Um, cause he, ba- I mean, he was basically playing with Duncan Robinson or Hero out there pretty much the whole time as the two. So that's why I, if guys have played both positions, mm-hmm. like that actual year, then I'm, and Tatum as well, I would say, like he's almost never guarding the opposing shooting guard to me. Like that's either smart or Brown is doing that. Um, so I, that's why I felt both those guys, if you didn't actually play the position at all that year, I can't shift you over. If it's like 50, 50 or something, then yeah, I'll default to trying sure. to get the best players on there. I also didn't think that Tatum necessarily was, the, uh, his overall body of work for the whole season was, was quite at the level that you did. I don't think. Okay. Um, the other guy we should talk about as far as a guard is Ben Simmons. Cause I had him third team. Uh, he was the last guy I put on the team. 
but I, I had him ahead of uh, Beal and Trey Young. So, I mean, do you feel that the statistical argument for the guys that you're making is just uh, overwhelming to the point where it's like you're it's not a just a matter of taste but really it's like no you these guys have clearly the best stats so you're gonna have to come with some really big information i well i i i actually i think trey young had a pretty strong case because i had him on my short list i I thought beal actually his case was weaker because he didn't have the offensive stats that trey young did but the defensive stats on him were just as bad yeah well, I mean, Beal was 10th in the NBA in offensive RPM. Uh, he is really good in, uh, offensive P. I mean, all the offensive on off stats uh, for Beal are really good. It's just it, like, I generally think that a lot of these projection systems just are too aggressive with the on off stuff of just like how damaging these guards supposedly are. And so I, I tend for especially guys further down the positional spectrum. Mm-hmm. I tend to look more at the offensive on-off stats uh, than the defensive on-off stats, but that—that's my personal philosophy on that. Right, right, and we—I mean, I guess I, it depends which uh, flavor of ice cream you're talking about, too. Because I—I I mean, I think certainly the RPM can be difficult or can be um, guilty of that. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, they actually—it seemed like they changed their formula actually about halfway through the season to reduce that effect a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And same thing, same thing too with, I think with overrating the defense of, of perimeter players as well mm-hmm. in terms of just the magnitude there. Um, see, I, yeah, so, I, I had yeah, almost ahead, come a little bit from the opposite perspective that I had, I had always felt like the, that guards who played defense were always a little bit undervalued throughout the league just because it wasn't what anyone looked at when they evaluated guards. Yeah. But well, I could, I could yeah. see how in a discussion like this though, it could, it could swing back the other way. When, when you're just looking at offensive offensive valuation, defensive valuation, and then adding the two, you're implicitly saying that each is of equivalent value, which may not be the case. Yeah, exactly. That, that, so if you're like, oh, well, his overall, you know, Bradley Beal, uh, offensive RPM is three and defensive RPM is 2.8. So he's just, you know, a, a 0.2 overall player. I like, I, I struggle to believe that that's really the case that that he's right that his I, I mean this is a guy who's a top 15 defensive or uh offensive player in the nba and he's undoing all of that good work with his defense i just think like now if you want to tell me that he's a center and he's one of the worst defensive centers and he's undoing all of that good work with his defense like that i could buy mm-hmm. but i just i just i really struggle with the idea that even someone like Trey Young or Beal who really struggled or Booker at his worst, that it's possible for a guard to be, especially because these are, all these guys are on bad defenses anyway. You know, it's one thing if it's like, oh, hey, you're, you've got Andre Guadalla, Draymond Green, and, you know, Sean Livingston on your team. And then Steph Curry is causing you to be an average defense because you have all these great defensive players. And like, he's clearly the one bringing it down. But we really like, we haven't really seen that effect that I can recall anywhere where you have all these good defensive players, you have one bad defensive player and that guy causes your whole defense to just be yeah. totally average. Yeah. Um, well, this, this is an interesting, interesting philosophical discussion. This is, this is, uh, this is going to go some places. Let's, uh, let's pick it right back up uh, after this. 
So I'm always looking for good sources uh, of protein, but until now, protein bars really were pretty miserable. I remember I would just have to bring with me like 32 ounces of water to manage to choke down some of these protein bars that were just, it's like eating concrete. But now Built Bar is here to solve that problem. 16 amazing flavors. They've got eight chocolate and nut flavors, eight chocolate and nut free flavors. The bars are covered in a 100% chocolate, but overall the nutritional profile is really good. 20 grams of protein in their peanut butter brownie, 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, 3 grams of net carbs. If you're finding yourself eating more than you want to, a great way to cut back on that is to have more protein. It fills you up more, doesn't have uh, as many calories. The way to get started with Built Bar is to go to builtbar.com and use the promo code locked on. That'll get you $10 off your first order. Once again, builtbar.com and that promo code is locked on. The name of this network, locked on for $10 off your first order at builtbar.com. So, Ben Simmons, you had him on your third team guard. What mm-hmm. is the case for him above some of the other players that I mentioned? Uh, I I thought he was such an impactful defender for me with his size and his ability to switch across all the positions. And I mean, we'll probably get into this a little more when we talk about all defense. But uh, you, you know, led the league in steals. Uh, that that really stuck out to me, I guess. And the the offensive part obviously is an issue, but he's also so good in transition. Like people focus on the half court part, but he's He's so good in the, in that element of the game and really was able to still put up pretty decent traditional numbers. If you look, I mean, true shooting a 60, PR 20, like he, it wasn't like he was trash at the offensive end. Now he, he mucked up their spacing sometimes. Absolutely. And the fit with Embiid probably could have been better. And I wish he had shot more threes, but I, I still think he was such a dynamic force that, that I had to give it to him. Yeah, Simmons his is always a, a tough guy to quantify. And he's on a more winning team than some of these other candidates, and which I understand. I also kind of think of Simmons as more of a forward at, at times personally. But um, it just in terms of his overall value, the fact that he can't shoot really bothers me. And mm-hmm. then he also isn't just like, you can't just say, oh, well, we'll solve him not being able to shoot by just giving him the ball in the half court. He's not that good of a creator. He got to be a little bit better in that area, I thought, as time went on. Like, he had a huge game against the Pacers, for example, where he, he scored a bunch of points. But generally, he's not creating that much in the half court. Um, I, I mean, are his, if you look at like the on off stats, I've not like that. I think he's, uh, 91st in defensive RPM, despite having all these steals that would like help the box score prior in that. So I've, I've, he's never like blown you away with the, some of the defensive stats. Um, so, so that's part of why I had a little trouble. I, I think when you look at the on off data for that team, it's really Embiid who drives a lot of their, uh, a lot of it when they're really good defensively from, from what I found. So I don't, I don't quite rate his defense as highly as some other people do. And I think man to man, I think he's really good in a lot of ways, better on smaller guys, but he doesn't quite have the great length to really cause huge problems for the best guy. That's just, just my personal opinion, but do you, you disagree? I mean, I, I I do think the, the on off stuff doesn't, doesn't favor him for this year. I just, when I, I guess, uh, when I looked at some of the multi-year stuff and when I looked at just the eye test on his, on his performance, I was just, I've just always been really impressed with him at the defensive end. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm overrating him, but I, yeah, I always I, felt I, like maybe I watched him on his good games. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I, uh, yeah. So you had him. You had him first team all. De- I guess also if you're saying that he's a guard, then because yeah, like you're all defense. I mean, I guess we can talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Ben Simmons and Kawhi Leonard as your first team guards, and I really had I had them as forward mm-hmm. uh, on on my. And I think so. For me, I had Kawhi and Giannis as my first team forwards. Yeah, and I did not. I did not have Ben Simmons on either of my teams. Um, my my second team forwards were Ananobi and Anthony Davis. But I think Simmons would have been right in there for me with Ananobi. But I I think Davis clearly as a forward should should be above yeah. him. I guess it's all part of the problem. Is just yeah. I mean, I I I could easily buy that. Ben Simmons has more of an impact than say Drew Holiday or Josh Richardson, but he's really his, his role is not really guarding the other team's guards a lot of times. I don't think so. That's that's why I I put it more as a forward because he's. I, I think it's not fair to just say, oh well, he's nominally a guard. We'll call him a guard, and just because he's bigger, he can have so much more impact. Like he's just playing a different role than these other guards. I felt like I should acknowledge what those guys are doing in their role when he's playing a different role. Right, but when they, but I mean, when they started games, though, he was defending a guard. Yeah, I mean, well, so Josh with Richardson their, their, would usually their, be the guy guarding the the whoever like the key pick and roll threat was on the other team, right? Yeah, yeah. And but, then you know Simmons would probably be the guy who most often would be guarding you know the best wing scorer on the other team. And then sometimes if Richardson was having trouble, they would switch him onto those guys. But they still had you know they had Horford. And then Harris would just hide on like whoever the least threatening guy was. So I think Josh Richardson had that role more than Simmons. Maybe in the games Richardson was out, then Simmons was uh had that role a little bit more. I mean, like you know, he guarded D'Angelo Russell last year in the playoffs. So he's he's capable of doing that, but I think he mostly it would be like Josh Richardson, and then Harris would guard whoever the other non-threatening guard was, and then Simmons would take the best wing guy. Is how I perceived it. But you know, neither of us watched all their games. <laughs> but the numbers see all the games, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's, no, that's that's what they always say right um mm-hmm. yeah i i so what was the uh, so that one i think like i totally understand why you went that way that's not one where i was like oh man i can't believe yeah yeah that, yeah. that you you went that way um jason tatum what's the case for him being second team all nba in your view i just thought he was had a really good two-way season yeah i i I mean, I, I whether you want to consider him a guard or a forward, I mean, I guess he was more of a forward. I thought a lot of his defensive numbers were really good. He guarded difficult players at times. He shot the ball really well. Uh, he definitely came on like gangbusters in the second half of the season in particular. So I, when I, when I weighed all that, uh, and again, my lineup was probably a little more top heavy th- than yours because I, I essentially had Tatum as a guard on the second team where you had Chris Paul and well, and also you had, you had AD as your first team center. And I thought he didn't really play center that much this year. Yeah. So that's why I moved him down to second team forward. He would have been my first team center, but I didn't find him eligible there. So that's probably one of the bigger reasons too, is you, uh, cause it, it, with the AD, I think you would, you would agree that AD had a better season than Tatum, right? Uh, yes, yes, clearly. Yeah. yeah. So, so if you did it the way I did, you probably would have bu- ended up bumping Tatum down to third team or Butler, one of those two. Uh, yes. If I, so if I had counted Butler and Tatum just as forwards, 
and had been strict about forwards, then I would have had LeBron and Giannis on the first team, same as you. I would have had Kawhi and AD on the second team, same as you. And then I would have had Butler and Tatum as my third team, uh, where you had Siakam and Middleton. Yeah, and to be clear, I think I think Chris Middleton to me had like incredibly underrated season this year. Um, agree, agree. It, and I mean, you know, he's when you look at the efficiency numbers offensively, like he is just way better than Tatum. I, I think you know. I would certainly agree that Tatum was playing at a higher level than Siakam or Middleton the last month and a half of the season, but I think he really offensively struggled for about two months early on and came on like crazy. And probably, I would say his defense to me is about the same as Siakam. Would you agree with that? That I mean, they're in the same orbit, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tatum's stats are way better. Like, that's one where, I mean, the on-off stats loved Jason Tatum's defense this year. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the, those guys are pretty similar and Siakam, he started off really strong and then kind of tailed off a little bit, had that yeah. groin injury. Um, so yeah, I mean, to me, Tatum, Siakam, Middleton would all be kind of in the same area. I just think that those guys were a little bit more consistent throughout the year. I could easily have changed my opinion if we'd had a full season and Tatum had continued at the level that he was at. Do, do you think it's close between those guys, or do you think that Tatum is like clearly a tier above Siakam and Middleton for this year? I thought, I thought... I thought Tatum was uh, definitely a little more efficient as the year went on than than uh, Siakam. I, I thought there was a difference there offensively. I thought, I mean, Siakam the first month looked ridiculous, right, and then yeah. really kind of sp- almost sputtered a little after that as a, as a leading man. And yeah, I, I think and, uh, Siakam also has more of a load, I would say, than Tatum in terms of just like you've got Kemba Walker and Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward, whereas. For Toronto, you've got Kyle Lowry and kind of that's it as far as like other high end offensive players on the team. There, there was more. Yeah. Their usage numbers were exactly the same, but I think in a vacuum, you would say that Siakam probably had a little bit more shot creation responsibility in terms of, uh, end of clock grenade situations. I think that's fair. So this is interesting. Did I have, so I didn't have Jimmy Butler on any of my teams either. As it turned out, I had uh, Siakam and Middleton uh, ahead of him as well. Um, so, is that another one that would you? Is that like crazy to you? I I would strongly disagree with leaving Jimmy Butler out of the out of the top fifteen entirely. Yeah, yeah. I I just thought he was too good a two way player, ridiculous free throw rate, um, it's especially which which made up in, in a lot of ways for his uh, inability to shoot threes this year was. I mean, the 13 free throw attempts per 100 possessions. <laughs> like, that's. Yeah. He, he's, uh, I'm actually worried about him in the playoffs, though, because I think he's really has gone to the bullshit foul drawing to like a ridiculous degree at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not even, like, on a lot of these plays, he's like not even trying to finish inside anymore. Yeah. 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 Totally. I, I, I can't argue with that. Also, had a very good year as a passer, by the way. I mean, oh, yeah. it was kind of their their point guard in a lot of ways. I mean, Miami played with none, and they played with Dragic, but you know, Jimmy was really a, a playmaker and much more, you know, because you think of him as being the guy who wants to take all the dribbles and take all the shots and didn't really play that way at all in, in Miami. Was much more of a playmaker slash bullshit foul drawer, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think all of that is uh, because he's, doesn't have as much athleticism to really finish at the rim anymore he's looking to pass more or or draw fouls in those situations um yeah i mean and and butler again for since he wasn't 
eligible at guard, I probably would have had him over Trey Young and Bradley Beal uh, if I were, if I had him eligible at guard. But yeah, so you have been, uh, yeah, I guess I just, I I have a higher opinion of Siakam and Middleton Mm -hmm. than you do. Uh, You know, because I, I, I'm not just all about the brand names here of like the, guy, <laughs> the, the guy who plays for Boston and the guy who's made it a bunch of times before, you know, I, I prefer to let the evidence be the uh, <laughs> determinant to have an open mind. Um, yeah, I think it's very close between all those guys, though, in my opinion. But um, is it just the the what, what about Middleton? Why do you not have him in the same? I mean, he's he's playing a different role. Yeah. Offensively. Yeah. More, I thought more of a support role, but. I also think that finding someone to play that role with the efficiency that he has is actually very difficult. I thought I thought he had a hell of a year. I just thought Butler and Tatum were higher level defensive players. Yeah. And so and so that's why I had them on second team and Middleton on third team. Yeah, and some of it too it's just, you know, do you value the high end second banana or do you value the maybe not quite as high end first banana? That's There's the- also a part of me that you know, we get into the more, when we talk about Beal, the more global idea of how good is this guy. There's a little part of me that doesn't totally trust this season that Middleton has had because it's so yeah. out of whack with the rest of his career. Yeah. No, that's that's something I agree. I mean, when I went back and looked at his shooting stats, they are, I mean, and Tatum too is, falls into this category as well. They're very reliant on the jump shot falling in a way that maybe it hasn't for them in the past. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even though no, that's a fair, that's fair point. It's true for Tatum as well. Um, okay. What, what else? Uh, I, I mean, I think most of our other stuff here, you know, like I had Jokic on first team as first team center. Um, you had him as second team center. So a lot of our disagreements seem like they're based on position, positional definitions. Yeah. Um, oh, I did have, yeah, I had Rudy Gobert second team center. You had him third team because Davis pushed everyone down and yeah. then I am beat third team, but he, there wasn't room for him for you. Yeah. I I, okay. So, yeah. uh, what are some of the other disagreements you want to talk about here? Uh, can we talk about rookie of the year for a minute? Yeah, I mean, I, so are you? Yeah, you had Zion number one. Huh? No, 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 no. I had I had Ja, I had ja over Zion. Um, oh, okay. So I di- I didn't want to talk about that because I, well, we should talk about that a little bit because Zion per minute had the best season of any rookie. Clearly, yeah. just I can't give it to him for five hundred minutes when Ja played the whole year. So it comes down no, to the body of the work. And I I struggle with that a little bit because I feel like it's a little there should be a little more leeway on that with something like rookie of the year than there is with MVP. Cause when you go back and look, you kind of say, Oh, who is the rookie who really electrified the league that year? And it's and it's not necessarily defined by, you know, which rookie had the best BPM or whatever. So yeah. th- there's an element of that, but th- Zion just th- there just isn't enough. Yeah. Enough body of work there. I just can't get there when Ja played three yeah. times as many minutes. Well, and, and Ja was awesome as well. That's, oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. 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 If yeah. this is 2017 and Zion is going against Dario Saric and Malcolm Brogdon. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We have, we have much more of an argument. Uh, I yeah. did want to talk about the third guy on your ballot because you had yeah. Kendrick Nunn there. Um, and I really thought, uh, Brandon Clark was, was the guy who should be number three this year. Yeah, that's, I mean, I didn't feel particularly strongly about none. Like Eric Pascal would figure there for me as well. This is one of the ones though, actually, you talked about the role that Clark, uh, you know, like a guy being in his role. To me, he came off the bench basically the whole year playing against backups. Um, I thought his three point shooting is very fluky and, and limited number of attempts. 
Yeah. But I, I think to me, if he wasn't starting or playing close to starters minutes, it's really difficult for me to have him that high in rookie of the year. He's also, and I also include a component of, I mean, none is old too. So I didn't feel great about any of the candidates. I mean, we, we talked about this a bunch yeah. of times. And, in a normal year, were. neither of these guys would be number three on yeah. the ballot, right? <laughs> so yeah, but, but none, I mean, to, for me to play the number of minutes that he did on a good team, let, let me ask you this. Do you think that, I mean, Miami is better than Memphis. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Kendrick Nunn or Brandon Clark is a bigger part of what those teams are doing? I actually felt like Brandon Clark was because Memphis' yeah. second unit uh, was a really huge factor in their season. And That's a good point, yeah. I, I mean, Kendrick Nunn, yeah, he was, he was good. He was all right, you know. He had a nice year, and that, that was that was important because Dragic definitely doesn't have a lot left in the tank. I mean, that definitely mattered for Miami, and you could argue that him mattering for Miami is more important than Clark helping Memphis to the eighth seed. But I, I do think I do think Clark's impact was felt because that second group from from Memphis, and it wasn't just Clark. Obviously, it was Melton and some other guys too. But they really impacted games. Yeah, how many minutes did each of them play? Let me look at that. I'm trying to remember, it was like seventeen hundred for none. I think it was maybe a little over. A yeah, thousand Clark played it. Played a thousand eighty six. And Kendrick Nunn, scrolling way down here because I have it sorted by PER. <laughs> Clark is right at the top of that, of course. And Kendrick Nunn played uh, 1,800 minutes. So that's a pretty substantial difference to me as well. So I think ultimately, I mean, for a guy who only played 1,000 minutes, like that's that's tough to be unless you're playing at like a ridiculously high level. So that, I think that's why. So this is just kind of a, a, a question of philosophy here on, on the minutes. I mean, I think... It, if you want to argue that Clark was more valuable than none uh, on a per play basis, I, I think that's reasonable. None's going against starters more. So, that, so that's part of it. They're both kind of playing, playing very, you know, none is the usage guy. Clark mm-hmm. is the finisher. So they're both playing within very limited roles. None doesn't really do anything else other than just kind of create shots. And he defended pretty well for a rookie too. Yeah. So yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from. That I, I don't have like huge disagreement. If you want to go there, I don't. I don't think you're crazy. Yeah. Only, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've yeah. only got one here actually that I think you're crazy on. What's up, sports fans? Matt Peck here, host of Locked On Bulls, and I want to talk to you really quickly about another excellent podcast. Huge Fan is a new Sirius XM original podcast where stars talk sports. Each week, join host LaChina Robinson as she chats with your favorite celebs about childhood sports memories, game day rituals, the most heated rivalries, and more. And this new season features huge names like Anthony Ramos from In the Heights and Hamilton, Pat Carney from the Black Keys, Mel C, that's right, a.k.a. Sporty Spice from the Spice Girls, and even actress Michelle Williams talking about her love for our very own Chicago Bulls. Huge Fan is a fresh way to connect with your favorite artists, actors, and personalities about something we all understand, fandom. Huge Fan is now out on Pandora, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. David Harrison here, the Locked on Washington football team podcast, celebrating with you a 21-grain salute to a less boring sandwich Thanks to Dave's 
killer bread. I don't know about you guys, but when I eat pizza, I eat it for the toppings, not the crust. And when I eat a sandwich, it's for what's inside the bread, not for the bread. But when I throw a sandwich on 21 whole grains and seeds, thin sliced bread from Dave's Killer Bread, it is the epitome of addition by subtraction. That thin sliced bread lets me focus on what's inside the sandwich, but also adds to the sandwich with killer taste, killer texture, killer nutrition, a subtle sweetness, and a seed-coated crust. Dave's Killer Bread is America's number one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store okay tell me where i'm crazy well so you not only did you pick this person for most improved Uh but you also wrote that there should be an investigation if someone else won the award that's christian wood uh-huh. for most improved player and i he didn't he wasn't even in my top three yes for most improved player yes yes so clearly you are insane and i am in the right <laughs> all right christian wood was in the g league last year was uh statistically probably a top 10 center this season by w- whatever flavor of metric you want to use well, well, on a on a per play basis, maybe. on a per play basis, but he did play yeah. thirteen hundred minutes and was starting after the Drummond trade. And I mean, it it, it wasn't it wasn't like he was doing it in two hundred minutes. I mean, he was he, he had a really effective year and wasn't really slowing down. If anything, he was gaining steam when the league shut down. Yeah, I, I think that's true. It, it's the fact that he didn't start until the end. It makes me wonder a little bit and you know on a team where it's not really a real team at that point even though he was putting up a, incredible numbers mm-hmm. um to me it's really so i had my top three were ingram pascal siakam yes again i know he won it last year but i mm-hmm. thought he was awesome and then uh bam Adebayo was number three for me sure. and to me i just think it's more significant to go from starter level of play to all-star level than to go from Hey, you know, kind of on the fringes to being a starter. I, I think like, like that difference. And especially the other thing about Wood too, for me is I think he kind of could have been doing this. <laughs> You're not the only one. I mean, that's the whole reason he fell out of the draft in the first place. Uh, yeah. because people thought he was a first round talent in, in 2015. And he's, he's obviously had to, go through a much longer road to to get to this point part partly because of that part you know how the perceptions of him the things people heard at UNLV and and how he was in draft workouts and whatnot so that all that all worked against him but people people always thought the talent was there now he he improved some things too he got better as a as a shooter where he was where he was before maybe a guy who could take a three but you weren't necessarily wanting him to you you know those those guys who were like in the 30 percent range and i i think he really cleaned up his his stroke and got got to a point where he's like a confident long-range shooter now and i think yeah. i think that really helped open up his game yeah and like i mean he was a candidate for me but i think this is the way i would put it um you know and, and that maybe it could be him in in some years number one i don't think he's an all-star level of player now and i think to me generally the players who have won this award and the players that I think it's just a more significant improvement. Like, I don't think Christian Wood, as much as he's improved, like we're going to be talking about him as like a significant player, like a difference making player in the NBA mm-hmm. 
going forward. And I mean, there's just, and I think every year you'll find guys who go from kind of, you know, on the fringes to establishing their careers in the way that, that he did. Um, whereas Brandon Ingram, I think he had, you, there's a good argument that statistically he had the greatest one season shooting improvement in NBA history this year. When you look at how the volume, the mm-hmm. percentage from three, the percentage from the free throw line, mm-hmm. like this came out of absolute nowhere. Like I was yeah. like, oh, he and Zyner can never fit together. He can't yep. shoot. He's taking 1.8 threes a game. And now he's up at like, you know, six or seven three point attempts per game and hitting close to 40% of them. Yeah. No, I can't, I can't argue with you on that. I mean, amazing. We did not worry about Ingram's three point shooting at all when, when we were in Memphis. And so that transition he made in one year, and you're right, from the free throw line even, he went from 68 his second year, 67 his third year, to 85 in New Orleans. And and then obviously, the, you know, he showed what he could do as a three-point shooter, as a mid-range shooter, uh, com- completely changed his game. And it, at 22, obviously, if this this sticks, I mean, yeah, that's a – that's a real game changer for his career and for that franchise as a whole. So, so maybe, maybe my asking for an investigation is strong if, if Ingram ends up the winner because he, his, his transition is, has been emphatic and relevant, right? So, so it hits those two criteria. I am a little interested. I got to ask then at number two, you go with Siakam and not Chris Middleton. What as as far as the as far as the improve because Middleton's jump was he was already shooting at a high level but he made a pretty staggering jump himself. Yeah, I, well, I th- one of them is if you look at the criteria of the award, it's an up and coming player. That's mm-hmm. what that's what it says. So I I wouldn't think of Middleton at that level. He's like twenty seven, twenty eight. He's already. I mean, yeah. It's tough for me to give most improved to a guy who just got a hundred and seventy million dollar contract, um, <laughs> uh, and was already an all star last year. Like he did get a lot better. Um, yeah. And, and I mentioned him when when Danny and I did our pod on it. Right. Um. To me, though, like I also like to emphasize. Okay, what skills did you actually improve? And yeah, I think Middleton got to be a better shooter. Also, some of it could be a fluke. I think Ingram's improvement might be a little bit of a fluke, but mm-hmm. I mean, he shot it so much more often too. And the free throw line improving, like I think most of that is going to stick. Siakam, though, the reason I had him again was because I felt you're just looking at his game, he's just doing totally different things out there and shooting threes off the dribble, attacking off the dribble. Um, upped his usage a ton as well yeah. to where he's really Matt, the number one option on a good so team So what now. did stand out to me, massive usage spike while decreasing his turnover rate. Yeah. Now that that the, doing that is hard. That that part is impressive. His shooting efficiency went down quite a bit as as you yeah. might expect. Yeah. I mean, but although he did ultimately he's adding much much tougher shots to his diet. I mean, if you think about last year, right? The series with Philly changes and becomes a w- really difficult series for Toronto when Brett Brown says, I'm going to put Joel Embiid on Pascal Siakam and just he's going to stand in the lane and we're just going to let Pascal shoot any shot that he wants to outside the paint. Yeah. And you can't do that to him this year. Like that would be, that would not be a winning strategy with the improvements that he's made. So th- that's part of it too. And then out of bio, you know, he went from not starting most of the year to making the all star team. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I bam at number three on that ballot. I I 
can't contest that. Yeah. So I guess it's just it, it like you might say, yes, like, you know, Siakam was the 60th best player in basketball this year. And now he's the 20, 20th best player in basketball. He went up 40 slots and Christian Wood was barely in the league. And now he's, you know, arguably, you know, in the top 150, maybe even getting close to the top 100. Um, so he's had like a larger raw improvement. So if that's what you value, I understand if that's your criteria. That's just not what my criteria is. Okay. We got, we got, <laughs> through, that, we got through that pretty respectfully. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do kind of, I mean, let me ask you this. How much do you think about just the historical component of these of like, okay, if somebody looks back on this five or 10 years from now that this guy won most improved, like how is that going to play? Mm-hmm. Do you think about that at all? I te- I only tend to do that with rookie of the year, but that's that's a really good question because I see your argument that we should do that with most improved too, and and with some of these other awards. But yeah, for, for some reason I haven't really looked at that way, at that way with most improved as much. But I I think you raise a really good point that maybe we should. So here are your most improved player award winners going back: Siakam last year, Victor Oladipo in eighteen. Giannis, 17, CJ McCollum, 16, Jimmy Butler, 15, Goran Dragic, 14, Paul George, 13. And then actually you get, you go back. It seems like recently it's been more players who have really ascended to all-star or close to all-star level. Yeah. And then before that you had, you know, like Aaron Brooks, Hito Turkoglu, and there's still some pretty like Bobby Simmons in there, but you also have, if you look back at this list, Mm Mm-hmm. You probably maybe only have three or four guys this century who got that award and never really ascended to being at least close to all-star level. Yeah. So I kind of think about it. It's like, okay, yeah, Christian Woody improved a lot. He established himself as a starter, but is it like, man, we can't, like, this is part of the history of the league. Is Christian Wood going to be a significant player in the history of the NBA? He might get there, actually. Who knows? But I, I don't think so. So th- this would be more in your mind, like, Bobby Simmons coming out of nowhere and and having a good year with the Clippers and then winning it in 05. Yeah, I think that's right. And Simmons, he was really good. And and I think injuries really set him back after that. But um, yeah, or like Daryl Armstrong. Mm-hmm. That's actually a good analog, maybe, even though they don't exactly have similar. Or Alan Henderson. Yeah, Isaac Ike, Isaac Ike Isaac Austin, Austin, the center out of the minor leagues. Yeah, yeah the the nineties the nineties is not amazing. <laughs> For, for the, this list. Yeah. yeah. Ike Austin would probably be like the biggest analog. And he, you know, he, he had a career for the next five years. Yeah. I think Wood's probably better than Ike Austin, but, um, yeah. Anyway, but the, it's an interesting way to look at it though. I, I, I like to think about, all right, people go back and look at this. Like, and they think, well, dude, all right, I guess this award doesn't matter. Christian Wood won it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what else we got? What else you want let's, to talk about? Let's talk we about got- defensive player of the year. Yes. And in particular, the third place vote again, because I think we, we, we agree on Giannis and Gobert, right? Those got to be the top two. Um, who did I have second? Let me double check. Yeah. Yeah. I go bear second also. So you had Brooke Lopez third and, uh, that, that is really, I mean, we can talk about this more when we start looking at the all defense teams too, but I, I just couldn't get there. Uh, to me, he was so, he was really good in that. Scheme and system they played, and he played it to perfection. But I, I'm not sure if he was really capable of anything outside of that. 
at, at as nearly a high level. And I mean, he also didn't play a ton of minutes, but most of the Bucks guys get penalized that way because they were winning every game by 50 yeah. points. But I, I just couldn't get there with him because of that. So who did you have? Uh, my, my third place vote, uh, on all defense, or, or I'm sorry, defensive player of the year. Um, I think I actually had Ben Simmons. So, but, I, so you want to just I'm, talk I'm, about that you, you just don't. I'm, I'm sorry. I had, I had Anthony Davis actually. Okay. Yeah. That, that one, he was probably the, my other candidate there. Um, I started from the idea that this is maybe the greatest rim protecting team of, of all time. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I wanted to reward that. I also think you're being a little hard on Lopez. Mm-hmm. If you go back and look at, they played a different scheme against Toronto in the playoffs last year. I think maybe even unwisely. I thought he was okay though, moving his feet on the perimeter. Like I would take him over, say, like Porzingis. Um, maybe not over Miles Turner, but I think he's like, he's not, you know, Boban, Yao Ming esque yeah. lack of mobility. I think he also, um, He's really good challenging floaters as well. Like teams shoot a really bad percentage on floaters. And I think he, the idea is, oh, he's waiting back. He's waiting back. But when guys try to go up for that mid ranger that they're supposedly giving them, he surprises them a lot of times and makes a miss on those plays. So I, I think he's, a, my opinion is he's more mobile than you're giving him credit for. Okay. I, the thing that always impressed me watching the Bucks was not so much. Lopez was how good their guards were contesting everything from the rear and harassing yeah. guys after they turned the corner, whether it was Bledsoe or DiVincenzo or, I mean, Giannis obviously is a super freak, but, uh, so that was why, like I had Eric Bledsoe on my Eastern Conference all-star team. I had him on my all, all, all defense team. Like I, when I watched the Bucks, the thing that stood out to me, I get their rim protection was really good. But it, the guards always stood out to me for how harassing they were from behind. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're one of the greatest defensive teams of all time. Maybe, maybe there's enough, maybe yeah, there's enough so credit I mean, to go around they? for everybody. I mean, they're three points per 100 better on defense than the second best team. So yeah. uh, like I, I'm willing to throw this credit around ever. I mean, I've got Brooke Lopez and Bledsoe and, um, and uh, Giannis, like, all right up there as far as some of the best guys. So, um, and I think you could say, yeah, maybe Giannis has, I mean, Giannis is my defensive player of the year. You can argue he had more of an effect than Brooke Lopez. Um, but, I mean, to me, like, the, you just can't score on the guy at the rim when he's in position. I mean, that has, you know, it's either it's basically like him and Porzingis. I think even more, like, Gobert's more mobile than those guys. Mm-hmm. But those are the two guys where I'm like, if this guy is standing under the basket, you're just not going to score. Right. Um. So I and I think he has, as I was saying, I think he has a little bit more mobility, and he's got like a pretty decent statistical case as well. When you look, his at his statistical this. case is ironclad. Yeah, I can't yeah. argue with that. Like all the advanced stats, love him, and again, again, he played that scheme to perfection. So his advanced stats should should favor him. Yeah. Uh, so my my argument is more if you take him out of that and put him in, I don't know, L.A. scheme, is he going to be as impactful? Like would would Anthony Davis have an easier time in Milwaukee's scheme than Lopez did in L.A.'s? I guess. Well, as Lo- Lopez is playing center, like AD is mostly playing power four yeah, okay. next to another center, and AD is playing. I think he played like you know thirty percent of his minutes at center this year. Maybe it might have even been less. Than Maybe that. not even that. I mean, yeah. it was Javale and Dwight, and uh, they 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 were a really traditional team this year with how they how they lined up. Well, so so let me ask you this: Have have 
What do you think is the closest either of us has come to convincing the other one so far? <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe Brandon Ingram. You, you might have gotten me on Brandon Ingram there. All right. I, I, I like that. I mean, I was, uh, it's good to know my lawyer skills aren't totally dormant at, at this point. I'm trying to think of what you, Ken, the Kendrick Nunn one, you probably got me on uh, the most, the, the Clark, Clark okay. versus Nunn. Okay. But I, I didn't feel, as I mentioned, I didn't feel particularly strongly about Nunn either. He was, sure. uh, he, he was on there because of default, the, uh, the two sweetest words in the English language. <laughs> All right. I um, got one more bone to pick with you. Okay. Let's hear it. How could you leave Chris Dunn off your all-defense team? So here's who I had. Drew Holiday, Marcus Smart, Eric Bledsoe, Josh Richardson. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Chris Dunn was going to miss the rest of the year. That was that was part of it, I think, too. Yeah, I mean, his his minutes played would probably be the biggest thing working against him. And his, I mean, his overall offense, I hate to <laughs> bring that up in a discussion of defense, but it kind of... It, it it hurts it hurts his consideration here because it kept him off the floor. I just th- I just yeah. thought he was awesome when he played. I, I yeah it, it was it was about the only redeeming thing about watching Bulls games this year. Yeah, he also had to play the three a lot. For, so I was going to say you could have put him at three instead of Ananobi too. Yeah, I, although I don't know if Chris Dunn is actually going to be able to guard like a good wing. I mean, the Bulls were sort of just like, well, let's hope they don't have a good wing. <laughs> their their uh, philosophy once Porter went down. But yeah, I, I do have a a bias against players who I don't view as really like full time starters. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's just to put him a guy like that on all defense. If you can't be a starter, it's like you're you have to be well rounded enough to. Like be in the conversation to me mm-hmm. to to where you're actually playing twenty five thirty minutes a game. Now he did play twenty four point nine minutes a game. Well, there so you go. Wasn't... Why do you think I chose those? No, <laughs> he chose, <laughs> and that is a perfect arbitrary cutoff. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, okay. Like he's he's not especially because he's a guard. He was not a starting guard for them. He got pressed into surface mm-hmm. at yeah. the three, and so I think that's part of it. Um, they also played this like really gambly scheme, which he was a huge part of, of, of course. Yes. Yes. Uh, but it, you know, it's just as, as him just like staying solid. So who would you have had him over if, uh, if, uh, like you had Bledsoe on your team, you had smart on, I had Marcus smart on my second team, I think. Yeah. And, um, uh, oh, and then you also, you took a bunch of the guards out cause you've had Simmons and Kawhi as guards on your first team multi. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you actually did have done playing the three on your second team. All yeah, time. I ended because I ended up with three guards on my second team. Right, I had like yeah. Bledsoe, Smart, and Dunn. I think. Yeah. So it see it seems like uh, Richardson and uh, Drew Holiday are the two that you would have had done. Yeah, yeah Drew Holiday was the hardest guy for me to exclude. I went back and forth with him and Marcus Smart as my second team uh, guard, and ultimately I felt. I just felt the Pelicans were so, so inconsistent defensively that it was tough for me to reward Holiday. Like his his individual moments were definitely there, but I thought Dunn's were more consistently there in the minutes he played, and kind of the same for Smart. So yeah. uh, Holiday was a difficult guy to exclude, though. Yeah. Also, just if you're playing more minutes, it's harder to bring that crazy level of energy defensively. Maybe that's another reason why I think you have to kind of be a a like a a starter level of guy in terms of minutes for me in terms of all defense. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think to, like Dunn is right in that group to me. And mm-hmm. I mean, the, 
the number he's probably the best ball hawk in the nba this year yeah that's a good way to put it yeah i i don't know. I, I really yeah. enjoyed what really enjoyed watching him this year yeah in terms of forcing turnovers i i'm i'm not I just don't know how much of a believer i am as far as just the solid nuts and bolts of just stopping people and that, i mean that can go for the whole bull scheme as well well summer, right? yeah totally yeah yeah That'll be interesting this summer now if somebody decides to sign him as a defensive stopper and they don't play a crazy scheme. All right, let me see if we if I had anything else. Yeah, coach of the year, we both agree Nick Nurse. Oh, I MVP. did want I did want to talk about cuz you Nick Nurse obviously coach of the year. I think Budenholzer has to be second. You had Brad Stevens third. Um I thought Eric Spolstra maybe should be third. I thought Miami really overachieved this year. I thought they got a lot of good years from guys that they didn't necessarily have reason to expect them from. Uh, you know, kind of pulled these random guys, Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson, Chris Silva, uh, able to get minutes from all of them, kind of were able to masquerade an offense, even with their best player not being a three point shooter and Bam not being a three point shooter. Like there were, there were, there were, that Miami team had weaknesses and I think they were able to mask them over really well yeah i don't think it's insane to have spolstra he was right up there for me too i think the biggest thing was to me boston outperformed expectations more than miami i think miami they'd gotten a little lucky as i recall from point differential oh they were yeah probably headed towards like high 40s ultimately mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i think i had predicted 44 45 wins from them whereas boston they had actually i think underperformed their point differential a little bit I had predicted 48 wins for them, and they were looking at high 50s. Uh, yeah. So, but, I mean, Boston clearly a better team than Miami. I, I'm with you there. So, and I think you could argue that Boston has more talent, but uh, and that was true to some degree when the season started as well. I, I think just the way that everyone on Boston has outperformed expectations. I think that's been the case on Miami too. So they're kind of uh, two sides of the same coin in some respects. That that they're the case for both of them is very similar between Stevens uh, and Spolstra and I think they're you know probably two of the top five coaches we both we both like them a lot who do you think is just a better coach between Stevens and Spolstra I think you had Stevens higher right when we did our coach I think when we did the coach rankings I had Stevens maybe a spot or two higher yeah Yeah, but I think you can absolutely make the argument either way between I guess I'm arguing now that that Spolstra might have had a better year (laughs) so to speak so no, you know what actually was really the tiebreaker for me is Boston being a top five defense with this group, with really having no established defensive big man coming into this season and just yeah. be top five defensively. Miami's yeah. defense actually hasn't been that unbelievable. Yeah. This year they've had Adebayo. They don't have that great a personnel outside of him. But um so I think that's what it was ultimately. Because I, I I don't know if you agree with this, but I see I'm more keen to reward coaching when it's a good defense and when it's a good offense i agree with you on that i think coaching has more impact on the defensive side of the ball generally uh there are specific instances where that's not the case but it's interesting here because i think miami smoke and mirrored their way to a good offense and boston did the same to a good defense yeah i mean getting what they got out of none and duncan robinson and being willing to play those guys over the more established guys I mean, that took balls to start Kendrick Nunn opening day over Goran Dragic. Yeah. Well, I think there's a feeling that Dragic maybe just can't play that many minutes anymore. Maybe that's what it is. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, they've both done an awesome job. I, I, I wouldn't like be aghast at having Spolstra over Steven. Um, 
Who did you have below? We both had Harrell for sixth man. Who did you have as some of your other candidates uh, there? Yeah, I, I, had, I had two non-traditional ones for for my second and third. So G- George Hill was was your second, who was the guy I strongly considered, even though he didn't have a high minutes total, just because he shot the lights out, man. Like that was insane, and you wonder how sustainable it was or whatever. His, his minutes total was only like eleven hundred, right? But on yeah. a permanent basis, his impact was more than almost any other. I mean, it was more than any other se- uh, reserve, I believe, in the league this season. Um, yeah. uh, the, the other guy, uh, who, who I think needs to be brought up, but he probably didn't pay quite enough minutes. Uh, Christian Wood again. Yeah. Uh, only started 12 games, played 1300 minutes, which is a little low for, uh, for this award. Um, you had Max Kleba number three on your ballot. Uh, I went with, uh, Dennis Schroeder. I went, I went traditional here. The, the guy I did not have, who everyone always votes for six man was, uh, Lou Williams, I just thought his defense this year was horrendous. I thought he backslid so much. Uh, he, he was just, just everyone went at him. I, I thought it was completely offset all of his offense. Yeah, it wasn't great. And that's one of those ones where they have other good defensive players. So he's going to get targeted a little bit more too. Um, I thought Harrell actually got a lot better defensively this year. He's, he had a long way to go, but he, yeah. he did get better. Yeah. I, I actually like Christian Wood's case better for sixth man than most improved player. Okay. Um, but yeah, Schroeder is interesting, and uh, there are a couple of things that really hurt his candidacy to me. Uh, because I, I, I over the last couple of years, especially last year, like I thought he was like an actively damaging player. I agree. OKC. I agree. And there's not too many of those guys. But when you're just taking so many shots and you're inefficient and you're not stopping anybody, I thought he did get better defensively this year. But looking at uh, like a lot of the on-off data that loved him was compiled when he's playing with another point guard or even with two other point guards. And their numbers when he was the only point guard were atrocious offensively. Granted, didn't have any help. I mean, when he was the only point guard, the other guys out there were Abdul Nader and Terrence Ferguson. I mean, OKC only has five players, so... (laughs) But if if you're going to be my sixth man, I'd like you to have like better than a 99 offensive rating when you're running the show, Mm -hmm. regardless of who else is out there. Um, So that was part of it. And then it looked like also, because I did like a a deep dive into why the numbers were so good for him. And a lot of it too, is that he, uh, they just happened to shoot extremely well when he was on the floor in ways that weren't all like his, uh, like his PIPM was, which adjusts for like shooting luck, yeah, was way lower than his RPM, which was, I mean, he was like, you know, top 20 RPM player. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a lot of that was just like the luck. And then also when it, he wasn't able to get it done without those other guys on the floor, th- that's where I was like, I, you know, he's m- a much improved player. He actually figured, I, I talked about him at most improved too. I think he moved up to being a good player, but I couldn't go quite as far as like, uh, having him. Especially, I thought it was a really good six man year too. Um, it, it actually was, me. yeah, yeah. A lot of good, lot of good candidates this year. Do, do Schre- you think Schre- like, by the way, was insane? I'm sorry. Do you think Klebo is insane? No, I think he's a good player who doesn't get talked about a lot. Uh, I and I think he fit what Dallas did really well. Now we're, you know, he played he played every game, so he ended up playing 1,700 minutes, even though his, you know, it kind of was up and down some nights. I mean, he was 25 minutes a game. I just, I mean. He's a guy who doesn't get talked about a lot, but he really made that 
big rotation in Dallas work with him, Przingis, and Powell because he can kind of play either role. He can be the three-point shot maker. He can be a little bit of a rim runner. He can block shots around the rim, but he can move a little on the perimeter. So he's he's kind of that Swiss Army knife that you want coming off the bench. Now, nobody thinks about bigs as a, in a six-man role ex- yeah. except except for Trez, I guess, is the only one. Uh so he, yeah. he's not going to get much traction, I don't think. Yeah, but Trez, and Trez scores a ton too. I mean, Kleba yeah. has like a 14, yeah. 14%. Yeah, six man of the year, of course, is decided by points per game. Yeah, um, I mean, at least for, for a lot of people. I, I mean, I thought Harold was really good, and he played a ton of minutes. Like, I generally eschewed he, uh, the points per game. I still, I'm still angry about Jamal Crawford getting it over Taj Gibson in 2014. So, yeah. This is uh, I'm st- I'm trying to fight back one uh, one podcast at a time. <laughs> one interesting point I'll bring up in Schroeder's favor. Uh, OKC 13th in offense this year. Schroeder leads the team in usage rate by a substantial margin. Yeah, yeah, he was. I mean, he was effective playing playing with those other guys for sure. I, I wouldn't argue against that. Um, but yeah, the, those and also, I mean, part of the other thing too is I'm still like I know that he wasn't good until this year. <laughs> and so, I, and it's like, so you're suspicious still yeah i get yeah, it yeah I, I get it, it. There, there's some suspicion there yeah. and especially when i saw the thing about him not playing well when it when he was the guy running the show because he really failed in that role last year and again like i agree with you it's not you know a prime ecosystem for him with uh you know darius Baisley uh next to him at the four yeah so yeah um all right are we done here this is fun uh, we, we got to talk about why you didn't have DeMontis Sabonis on your MVP ballot. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. This is the other thing we, we teased this yesterday of you, when you did your piece with, uh, Scott Agnes, you, I think he put to you the question of like, if one of them has to go, would you trade Turner or Sabonis? And you said you would trade Turner. Yes. And so uh, what's your, what's your thinking on that? I feel like Sabonis fits what they're doing a lot better just in terms of his ability to be uh, the fulcrum in a pick-and-roll offense and make decisions out of it and make rim runs out of it. And he worked really well with Brogdon. He worked really well with Doug McDermott. I mean, I don't know if Doug McDermott's their future, but whatever. Um, he 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 fit what they a lot of what they were doing. Now, will they still do that when Oladipo comes back? I guess we'll see. But I, I just thought he really fit in there and Turner was the guy who was a little bit existing outside of that where he was spacing out to the three-point line but he's not really a great three-point shooter doesn't have great feel for like uh kind of the short roll and in between stuff and the you know all the little DHOs and whatnot and then he's he's a shot blocker like he's definitely a better defender than than Sabonis but I'm not sure his overall impact just adds up to as much so going forward for me i think it's easier to go forward with sabonis and find another big who can shoot than to go forward with turner is kind of a what is he exactly and and try to build around that to a high level so you said that sabonis fits what they're doing my argument has always been that the only reason and i think i probably have a higher opinion of both turner's defense and his shooting than you do, especially maybe if he had a, a little bit different of a coach who emphasized the three a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But to me, everything that they're doing with Sabonis only works because of Turner. So let's let's say you get rid of Turner. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of four are you envisioning on this team? Because presumably that's what they're looking for. Like, who is your ideal four? 
just to, it, you know, it doesn't have to be someone like, oh, yes, they could trade turn directly for this guy. But, like, who are you thinking that guy would be? Okay. Uh, let's say, all right, let's play fan. Let's say they got Danilo Gallinari. All right, you're never stopping anyone. <laughs> I knew that. I knew that was going to be the next thing out of your mouth. <laughs> right. Well, well, because because that's my thought. Right. Is like the ability for Sabonis. You get because Turner is there. Mm-hmm. You get all of the offensive benefits of Sabonis, but then you don't have to deal with the defensive limitations. I mean, yeah, he can't he can't get out on the floor that well to guard other stretch fours, or you know, if you're going up against Boston, is he going to guard like Hayward or Tatum or? Or Braun, you know, that's difficult, but, uh, you don't have to deal with the fact that he's like a pretty limited rim protector. Tries hard, but he's, but he's limited. Like, I don't know. So you, he can protect the rim on one end and he can space the floor for Sabonis to do his offensive thing on the other end. And so I think if you, to get a reasonable facsimile of a guy who protects the rim on one end and spaces the floor on the other, that to me is rarer than the type of guy who's doing what Sabonis is. That, but don't you think they were better when they played with just Sabonis than when they played with just Turner? Yeah. That, I mean, I think that's a reasonable point. Um, but they are also going against backups there, and you've got a very offensive lineup. Like, that lineup that they had, I don't think that could function to defend it against the best teams. Yeah, I mean they would they would finish games with it sometimes, but it wasn't often. They tended to go, yeah. they would usually go back to the two bigs down the crunch. I'm trying I'm trying to remember occasions where they just went with the one. It wasn't that frequent. No, I I agree. I mean there there are times that they did it, but it was uh, I mean the cuz they I think I think that's uh, that's interesting. I I think that Turner to me enables so much of what Sabonis can do and I just if you I mean Dan Burke has done a great job, McMillan has done a great job, but man, I mean it just to have a high enough level of defense with Sabonis as your center and then no rim protector next to him, I think you're going to be really hard pressed. And so there are like Sabonis is really good at his passing, great short roll guy. He punishes mismatches in the post, but I think you can find kind of an offensive center like that who can be a more reasonable effect. Similarly, I think it's just, it's hard for me to build a defensive team around Sabonis. That's where I end up at with them. So that's why I would actually, and I also think that Sabonis, he just made the all-star team. So why not trade him when his value is really high? That's a good argument because Turner didn't. Turner had a much better year the year before than he did this year. Yeah, I think Turner is actually. I if you if you ask me, would you rather have Turner or Sabonis on your team? I would actually rather have Turner, irrespective of like who would have more trade value. But I think mm-hmm. you and I, I think you and I evaluate Sabonis. You probably evaluate him a little bit higher, but I think I really evaluate Turner way higher than you. It seems like. Yeah, I'm a little. Yeah, I just uh, offensively I struggle with him. I I don't think the shooting is really good enough to scare you. Well, it's better than like Brook Lopez at least this year. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, to, like okay. So let me ask you: Is our teams just like saying, "Hey, go ahead, shoot whenever you want"? Miles Turner, like, they close out to him, right? Yeah, they still respect his shot for the most part. He- the, oh, here's here's the other thing too: is that his offense looks worse. Because he plays with Sabonis, because teams just put their center on Sabonis and then they guard him with a wing who's more able to close out. If he's playing pick and pop uh, as the only center and you've got a more space floor, maybe he has more of an effect. Although, as you mentioned, he uh, the numbers with him on the floor offensively as the mm-hmm. only big weren't as good as with Sabonis. He's also unable to mash these smaller guys. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he's just not going to do that. That's like, I completely agree. But you also... I mean, your center has to guard somebody if he's the only big out there, and 
Um, you know, you're not going to put your center on like TJ Warren or something. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be interesting. That would be interesting to see, regardless of which one went, how each of them would do with it if with it if they split them up. Interesting science project. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, this was fun. I, I, uh, are you, are we good? Are you still, you still want to do the show? Next <laughs> yes. <week>? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> we managed to get through this. Yeah. No, it's, it's fun. It's fun arguing about this stuff because you have to really like, you better, you better come correct or you're going to, you're going to get exposed. I mean, I don't think any of us, we only had one or two things. I think that each of us were like, really? That's yeah, fun. exactly. Um, but yeah, this is fun. Uh, what did you write about for the athletic this week before we go? So I got something coming, uh, talking about, uh, kind of what the, what the cap situation is going to be for next year and coming years and, and looking at a, a couple of the issues that the league faces with that. And then, uh, I'm going to be coming later in the week with something that examines, uh, from the individual team's perspective, how changes in the cap could affect their planning. Yeah. I'm really interested to see what they end up. I, I haven't been following that quite as closely, um, as since I've been doing, the COVID stuff, I kind of just like, all right, well, when they, when they figure it out, I'll, I'll analyze it as yeah. opposed to just like the minute by minute adjustments. Um, yeah, this was fun. We'll be back, uh, next week. We appreciate your support uh, during these times and, uh, only a couple, couple more weeks, hopefully, before we have an announcement on whether NBA basketball is, is going to be back and we can stop doing these gimmick shows. <laughs> exactly. All right, we'll talk to you all next week. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.